Jude 3. And we'll just read this single verse this morning. We'll be working our way through this epistle over the coming weeks. And uh, my intent is to work through it in a verse-by-verse basis. So this morning we're going to look at Jude 3. The Bible tells us, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. We want to consider the subject or the topic this morning, the common salvation. The common salvation. Of course, that expression is found here in this verse. He says, I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation. Jude, in this single verse, is pointing at the subject matter of the entire epistle. Now, we already know from being a couple weeks into this particular study of this brief book that there are many different subjects. There are many different thoughts and things that are to be considered. But as he writes about this common salvation, this is one of those subjects that overrides the entire letter. It is one of the things that is, uh, it is, if you can, if I can use the word common among the 24 verses, it is the very thing which tells us why Jude writes this epistle. You can see he has a view and a purpose as to why he does this. He says he did it with diligence to write. Now, there's a number of words that are used in this particular verse, words like beloved. We see the word common. We see the word salvation. We see the word needful. We see the word exhort. We see the word earnestly. We see the word contend. And then we see delivered. These words make up this verse that brings us to the conclusion of what we're seeing here, that an exhortation was necessary to all believers who had Jesus Christ in common. Remember, this epistle is not just written to one single church. It's written to believers in general. So whether you were a believer in one part of the world or another, uh, this letter was for you. Now remember, as we've looked over these first couple of verses, we've spent a a number of different times looking at uh, why these things are important. But if an exhortation was necessary in the days in which Jude wrote, the exhortation is due and necessary in the day in which we live. One of the beauties of this verse is that the faith and the common salvation in which Jude wrote about in his day, that faith... That salvation has not changed. It is the same salvation. It is the same faith in which you and I are called to contend for. It has not changed. Now, man over the years has tried to adapt faith and had tried to adapt salvation and made it more man-centered as opposed to God-centered. Salvation, now you are either on one side or the other. You are either in the the camp that believes salvation is of man or you're in the camp that salvation is of the Lord. That faith is of man or faith is of the Lord. And we understand that the common salvation here must be in agreement. So something in common means it has the same characteristics or in this case, it has the exact same foundation. Now, we're going to look at the reason why this exhortation takes place next week, because in verse 4, 
he talks about people creeping in unaware. In other words, there were those who did not share this common salvation who had crept into the church and had begun to turn it into something that it was never intended to be. Now, these were not just uh, sort of bad people. Uh, as we've learned over the last couple of weeks, we learned that these were reprobate people. These were people with an intent to abuse the grace of God. And at the heart of each one of them, they were blasphemers of Jesus Christ. Their goal was not to elevate Christ. Their goal was to elevate their own philosophy, which we learned in our introductory message, primarily the Gnostics, who were very common in that day. So again, what is Jude doing? Jude is reminding us and he's exhorting us and he's affirming these truths to people who share in this common salvation. Someone who does not have or share in this common salvation will find the words of this useless to them because they don't know what that common salvation is. Wicked men have always and will always attempt to infiltrate that which is standing for the truth. We are not exempt from that. Uh, we are not exempt from the reality that someday someone will come in who will decide uh, we're coming in peace. We're coming as sharers in this doctrine. We share this common salvation. But at the heart of what they're doing is not to share in the common salvation. It is to be as these, verse 4 talks about them, men that crept in unawares who had a mission and a purpose to turn the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what verse 4 talks about. We'll deal with that verse next week. So Jude is exhorting. He calls them beloved. The word beloved is a word that is reserved for those who are in Christ. Jude calls them beloved, and they're beloved really in three ways. They're beloved of God. They're beloved of Jude. And they're beloved of other believers. Every single one of us who shares in this common faith are called beloved. We're called beloved by God the Father. We're called by, uh, beloved by uh, each other. We acknowledge that we have this in common. So he is admonishing, he's exhorting us that in opposition to the wicked men in their conduct and their doctrine, to earnestly contend for the things which pertain to salvation and faith which were once given. These things, this one faith, this one salvation, is to never be changed. When a church begins to try to change what the Bible says about the gospel, what it talks about the, the salvation, and it talks about faith, we are never to allow that to happen. It should not be altered in one single way. Jude's purpose is to call the believers who have this common faith to defend the faith which was once delivered with all the spiritual strength that they have in the truth. We're not told, we're not told in the Bible to take up arms and defend the church building with, with weaponry. We are called to defend the truth and the doctrines of the Word of God in spiritual, with spiritual weapons. The preaching and proclaiming and defending of truth. 
standing upon that which we know to be right. That's, that's what Jude is getting at here. So in the first half of this verse, Jude refers to the common faith as all things that pertain to our salvation. The common faith is all things pertaining to our salvation. What makes our faith and our salvation common? To have a common faith means we have a common gospel. To have a common faith means we have a common way of redemption. To have a common faith means that everything that pertains to our salvation, we have in common. In other words, we do not have a different story as to why we are in the faith. Now, what I don't mean is I don't mean your actual conversion moment. I'm talking about the basis of your salvation, the basis of your redemption, the basis of your faith is all founded on one common denominator. That's why it's referred to as a common faith. It is that, it is that covenant of grace that we've talked about. It is the blessings of knowing that you are a child of God. And we share in those promises. In the book of Titus, if you'd like to turn there this morning, the very first chapter, Titus chapter number 1, I want you to look at verses 1 through 4 with me. And you will see here as uh, Paul, as he's writing this, also a, a rather brief letter, he's writing and he, listen to the words in which Paul uses as the introductory remarks to this epistle. Titus 1, verses 1 through 4. Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledging of the truth, which is after godliness in hope of eternal life, which God, that cannot lie, promised before the world began. But hath in due times manifested His word through preaching, which is committed unto me according to the commandment of God our Savior. To Titus, mine own son, after the common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. Notice Paul even writes in the introductory lines of this letter, Titus, I'm writing to you according to or in accordance with the common faith. There was something that bound them together. That is common faith. That is common salvation. We have that in common today. Now, Jude, as he writes in that verse, he says, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation. Jude signifies that he did this with a diligent purpose. This was not something that was done just offhanded or just something that, hey, I need something to write to you, so I think I'll write about our common salvation. He said, it was needful that I do this, and we'll see this in a moment. But I did, and I gave all diligence in writing this to you. The subject, the common salvation. Which again, refers to the gospel. It refers to faith, which is in direct opposition to the law. The law leads to condemnation. That's what we learned throughout our, 
our year and a half study of the book of Romans, right? We learned that the grace of God is in opposition to the law. What the law cannot do for us, the grace of God does and can. This common salvation, he's not writing about this common salvation is the basis of your law keeping. He says this is the common salvation that came through the gospel and we share those things in common. When we see the word, the phrase, the common salvation, it is in fact a declaration of salvation. But it's more than just stating it as a matter of fact. It is stating also the means by which we share in this common salvation. As we read in Titus just a moment ago, it was through the preaching that people were brought into this common salvation. It's a common salvation because it is to be preached to all. Whether Jew or a Gentile, the gospel message is not altered because of the receiving audience. Today, there is a movement that says, I'm going to preach a different gospel because my audience is different or preach a certain way because a certain type of sin is being put on display. The gospel is exactly the same no matter who the audience is. It's common. We don't even have to bring down the gospel when we preach and teach to children. It is common. It is all based upon what we have in Christ. Jesus Christ is the common salvation. Jesus Christ is the Savior Himself. Jesus was called and appointed and He undertook all of the requirements of fulfilling the justice of His Father. All that was required. So it's common because it is a declaration of faith, a declaration of salvation. Jesus Christ is that common Savior. All of our righteousness, all of our redemption, all of our wisdom, all of our sanctification is in Christ alone. Whether Jew or Gentile, we are bought with the same blood, justified by the same righteousness, and called by the same Spirit of God. It is not a different spirit that calls upon one nationality of people and a different one that calls upon another nationality of people. It is the same Spirit of God. If all those things are in common, then the conclusion ought to be we're all going to share in the same glory someday. That glory is the glory of what Christ has brought. We may call it a common Savior, but not all men have Christ in common. There are people over the generations of years who have heard the same gospel, have heard the same message, have heard it preached over and over and over again, and they yet are not one of His. And that truth will continue to go on and on and on. But you and I who are in Christ we are part of His body. We're part of His body. We're part of the church. Every person who has, a, has a, a part in this common salvation is a member of the body of Christ. We might be a member of this local church, and that's important in and of itself, but we also are a member of the entirety of the body of Christ, which includes all believers. And that's a beautiful picture. 
But let us never forget that the reason we have this common salvation is because of what Jesus Christ has done. This common salvation is not being declared as being given or being possessed by all men because not everybody is saved. But just as was written in Titus, it was written to the elect of God. The elect of God are all true believers in Christ. Man may say, how do I know I'm elect? If you are a believer in Christ and you know you are of the elect. Now that, that, that term still bothers people and that's why we spend so much time dealing with that. But understand, if you're a believer in Christ today, you are one of God's. So we know that this common salvation must include what he begins this verse with. And let's kind of revert back just for a moment. Beloved means that the love of God is at the heart of this. The love of God has been demonstrated by his choice of us to eternal salvation. If I am in, faith, in the faith today, I am in the faith by the same means and ways in which you are in the faith. The covenant of grace. The promises of grace. We all share equally in this. I do not have any more right to the covenant of grace than you do. I am not more securely in Christ than you are, nor is anyone in this building more securely in Christ than another. If you are in Christ, we are sharing in that equally. That's what makes it common. Now, some people have been teaching for years that if you do a little bit more for God, you do a little bit more and a little bit more, a little bit more, you have a higher standing with God. You don't have a higher standing for doing anything more. You are on equal footing. And that's important to understand because as we continue to try and try and try and try to earn and keep and make our own way, we have to remember that we are only in Christ because of His finished work. Nothing that I do is the cause of His love to me. Nothing that I do is the cause of His love to me. And that's important because we understand that we have all been bought by the same price. The ransom was paid by the blood of Christ. We are justified by the same righteousness. We are regenerated, sanctified. We're called by the same grace. And we shall possess the same glory. There's only one way of salvation. It's through Christ. And nowhere does Scripture say, preach a different Christ to a different crowd. Nowhere does it say, preach a different Christ to a different nationality. This gospel, this common salvation is not to be confined to any nation, family, community, or socioeconomic group, if you want to add that there. It's not meant just for exclusivity to one type of person. Number two, as he writes about this common salvation, he says it is to be earnestly contended for and preserved. Earnestly contended for and preserved. It was needful for me to write unto you. Something that's needful means that there was, there was a, a, something was there that I needed to make sure that you were aware of this and that you were aware that you must do something. Needful that you should earnestly contend for the faith. Notice he doesn't say earnestly contend for the soapbox in which you stand upon. 
Notice he doesn't say, stand for whatever seems to be the thing that is most important to you. He says, earnestly contend for the faith. That's a pretty broad statement. Think about everything that makes up faith. Think about everything that's included in faith. Faith includes the entire, all Bible truth. Do you realize there is nothing in the Scripture that we are allowed to neglect? You realize we're not called to ignore certain portions of Scripture? We're not allowed to ignore things that are difficult. We're not allowed to just say, hey, these things don't matter. I just want to stay right here on this soapbox that I'm on. No, we are to preach the entire counsel of God and we're defending the entire counsel of God. Even the things we may not fully understand today, we are to defend those things and stand upon the truth. When we see the word faith throughout Scripture, oftentimes we mistake it by man's faith. What man does instead of understanding that the faith is that which God has declared, that which God has given, the gift of faith. But it's a common faith. The faith is to be preached and contended for, and as we'll see in this letter, and defended. We've got a, we have a movement today that says we should just accept all different opinions and philosophies and allow it into the church. Nowhere does the Bible say, let every opinion and philosophy come in and let's have a discussion about it. And that's where we're getting to. You bring your point, you bring your point, and we'll try to meet in the middle. No, here is the common faith, and this is where we stand. Now, this is where our church is going to stand. We're going to stand here because this is where God says you're supposed to stand. Oh, yes, we're going to have conversations with a lot of people who don't believe like we do, and we're supposed to be doing that. You're supposed to be having conversations outside of the church building. You're supposed to be having conversations with your family and your coworkers and people you meet and say, let's talk about the things of God. But that doesn't mean that you allow the church to become a place of just opinions. And that's where we're going, folks. That's where the church is heading. Be all inclusive. No, this isn't, this isn't a timeshare resort. This is not something we bring and just say, listen, everybody bring what you want to get out of this and say, no, there is a common faith that we're called to stand for. When he uses the phrase earnestly contend, it would have been strong enough if he just would have said ye should contend for the faith. But the word earnestly is added there under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to really show the emphasis here. To contend for something means that if it's, you're not careful personally, it could be lost. Now, this has happened. There are churches who used to contend for the faith in which this church stands on who no longer stand on that faith. Did the gospel change? No, they did. That's how it's lost. The gospel itself, the truth of the gospel, as it truly is biblically, will never be lost. It will never even be misplaced. It will never just be hidden. It is the truth of the matter is, he says, you need to earnestly contend for the, the, for the faith because it could be lost among you. The whole faith is to be contended for. There are people today who say the only thing that really matters are the fundamentals of the faith. I disagree with that statement. 
People say we can all get along if we just agree on the fundamentals of the faith. Here's the problem. The fundamentals keep changing. What used to be the fundamentals of the faith are now no longer fundamentals. They've been replaced by soapbox opinions. These are the fundamentals of the faith. No, the fundamentals of the faith, it has to go beyond that. Of course, we're going to stand on the fundamentals of what the Bible teaches. But what about those lesser matters of faith that maybe we don't think are important? When do we become a, when do we become a people that said, listen, there are parts of the Bible that are not as important as the other? God never says that. God never one time in his word says this is more important than the other. Man has done that. Man has said, let's take away the wrath of God and let's replace everything that says wrath with the love of God. And we create a God who is more appealing to our nature. See, as we read in Isaiah, false gods are not just carved out of wood. False gods are created out of the man's heart. When man makes God or tries to make God what he wants him to be, and more importantly, try to make God accepting of what he wants to do. That's not the God of the Scriptures. So there is no non-essential thing. The essential non-essential things that are being argued about in churches today are not things that are biblical. They're man's philosophies and man's opinion. That's what man's arguing about. But every truth, every ordinance, things that are consistent with the Scripture, to contend for it means we need to care for it, but we also need to guard it. To guard something means that you are doing everything you can to keep it within your possession. As a matter of fact, you actually guard it because you adore it so much. Uh, there are certain things in our life, if someone came and tried to take it, you would defend it at all costs. Every one of you have something in your life temporal that if someone tried to take it, you would not allow it. This earnestly contend is saying you, don't, you do not let these men that we'll talk about next week who crept in unawares because I've exhorted you and told you be ready to contend for this because they're going to be creeping in. And folks, this little church here is not exempt from this happening. We have this, we have this very bad idea that our little small church is no threat to anybody. So nobody's ever going to bother. Listen, if we're standing on truth and we're preaching the truth, there's always somebody against it. There are people in this community that don't like this church. I already know this to be a fact. They don't like what we're standing on. They don't like what we're preaching. If you think this isn't going to happen, you're living in a dream world. There will be a day when it will creep in and will you and I recognize it? That's why we are so diligently trying to teach doctrine and teach what the Bible says. We never set out to make this church an entertainment center. That will never be the goal of this church to entertain the masses. But it will be a place and a body of believers that will stand upon the truth and we will preach the truth and we'll contend for the truth and we'll defend it against that which is false, which decides to try and come and take it. To contend for means we try to guard it for preservation. 
But we don't just guard it and preserve it and then keep it in a closet somewhere. We're doing that so that we can spread it, so we can continue to move it out. It's not supposed to stay within these four walls. I've said this for the five years I've been here. The gospel was never meant to be contained within these four walls. Which means every one of us has a responsibility to be a gospel preacher and a gospel proclaimer in the circles of life in which, where you go. You have interactions I will never have. I have interactions you will never have. The defendant of faith is not at 10 o'clock and 11.30 on Sunday and 7 o'clock on Wednesday. You should be defending this faith in every aspect of your life. And not just simply saying, well, yeah, my church believes this, but I don't. Listen, you should stand firmly and fully behind the doctrine of faith of which is given scripturally. People have this idea, say, listen, if you agree 75% of what we stand for, you're going to be okay. I don't believe that. If we're just saying that to get numbers, we're doing it for the wrong reasons. We should be in agreement that this is, the, this is the faith. And again, most of our disagreements are not over doctrine. Most of our disagreements are over what we want and what we prefer and what we think is right. And again, we're always going to have disagreements on some of those things. But listen, are our disagreements based upon because we really believe that the Bible is being violated or do we believe that our personal, our personal space, our personal opinions being invaded? So the whole tone of this suggests a conflict. A contention is a conflict. The word contend goes even further. It can, it can actually uh, suggest combat. It can suggest fighting. Taken to its furthest extent, contending leads even to agony. In other words, a person that contends for something will fight for it until the death. Who are those people we contend against? Well, we're going to learn about it, but those that are contended against are those who deny any of the persons of the Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. You know, you would, you would wonder and you would think, how could the Trinity ever become a place of contention. And it has become a major explosive area of contention about the reality of the Trinity and what the Trinity really means. And yet we have all the truth and we have the picture, the perfect picture of the Trinity. We're even going to see that in our, in our gospel service this morning about the picture of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But we are to contend and fight against those who would deny even the very Godhead. Over in 1 Timothy, another letter in which Paul wrote, 1 Timothy chapter number 6. Let's look, look at this together. Look at verse 11. We often read these verses and we, it, becomes a, uh, it becomes a rallying cry for us. And... As, he, as Paul writes to Timothy, he, he calls him in verse 11, but thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. And here's the phrase, fight the good fight of faith. 
Now, we've turned this into some kind of outward spiritual strength. I'm stronger than you. I'm going to overcome you. I'm going to overtake you. But look what he says. He says, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life. That's a spiritual thing. Lay hold on eternal life. Whereunto thou art also called and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. I give thee charge in the sight of God who quickeneth all things and before Christ Jesus, who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession. That thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which in his times he shall show who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Who only hath immortality, dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto, whom no man hath seen, nor can see, to whom be honor and power everlasting. Amen. Notice that precept, fight the good fight of faith. It is taking hold of eternal life, not in our own works and not in our own way. But folks, if you have been uh, converted and been into faith for any amount of time, you and I have this common statement. The way of spiritual life is not an easy one. If your spiritual life is easy, there's something wrong with your faith. And we serve a great God. We serve a marvelous, magnificent God. But the fight of spiritual faith, it is not an easy one. Folks, if the world seems like it's going the opposite direction than you are, it's supposed to be that way. If you feel like every day is a day, I'm I'm fighting every day. And folks, some of you even fight in your own family. That's what the way of faith looks like. If you are coasting along and you can simply say, look, everything's good in Jesus. There's something not right. Now, that's not popular because what people want is I want the good life in Jesus. I want want Jesus that makes everything in my life easy. That's not the Jesus of faith. It is supposed to be a struggle. You are supposed to be fighting Every step of the way, Paul says, fight the good fight of faith. We could say it this way, contend the good contest of faith. Contend for it. This contest contest or this contending is not flesh on flesh. It is against the world, the flesh, the devil. Listen, if you're going to live a life unto God, you can expect daily warfare. Daily. Daily. Because the powers of death are what is in opposition to you. It's amazing how many Christians you, you meet who say, I don't really believe in all that spiritual warfare stuff. I don't know what world you're living in. Listen, there's a spiritual warfare, there's a spiritual battle going on every single day. We contend for the faith. We contend for the Trinity. We contend for the deity and the sonship of Christ. We, we contend for the, the, the divinity and the personality of the Holy Spirit. We contend for the nature of man. He is in his depravity. 
We contend for the inspiration of the Scriptures. We contend for the grace of God in election, justification. We contend for redemption and remission by His blood. We contend for imputed and imparted righteousness. We contend for regeneration, sanctification, final perseverance. And we contend for the resurrection of the dead. We contend for the return of Christ. And we contend for the future glory that the saints are going to experience with Christ. And yes, even though it's unpopular today, we contend that there is an eternal condemnation for those outside of Christ that is coming. We contend for those things. And then finally, what Jude says, the common faith was once delivered unto the saints as promised. This common faith was not something that just kind of gained a foothold. He said it was delivered once. The faith once delivered. It was delivered, of course, by Christ. We understand that. But even prior to Christ's incarnation, we're told in the book of Hebrews, chapter number 1, verses 1 through 7, God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who, is, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high, being made so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. For unto which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he bringeth in the first begotten into the world, he saith, And let all the angels of God worship him. That's Christ. And of the angels, he saith, Who maketh his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire? Everything in the Old Testament was a promised picture. It was a prophecy that Jesus Christ himself was coming. In the book of Hebrews, in chapter 2, we won't read through it, but there's an overriding theme in that particular verse. In verse 3, it says, How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him? Listen, the neglect of salvation. Those who find themselves in eternal condemnation are the great mass of people who simply neglected the message that has been proclaimed and is being preached and is being held forth. The delivery of this faith that was once delivered, we understand it's not an invention of man. It's an amazing thing and amazingly sad how many gospel inventions I come across in a week on church websites, on church statements of faith. Here is the way to God. It's the way to hell. Christ isn't even mentioned. Sin is not even spoken about. The blood has no purpose. It is a Come take God however you want and you can know you're saved. 
This faith that was once delivered was not that kind of faith. The faith that Paul stood upon was not that type of faith. It was not invention of man. And Jude says, we are to understand this is a gift of God. And we have been put in trust with it. We are to hold it forth. We are to hold fast in it. It was once delivered. Hebrews 1 talks about sundry times in diverse manners, which means that's the way God's mind was being made known in various ways. Why? Because they couldn't just take a copy of Scriptures and say, hey, read your Bible. The prophets were speaking. The prophets were given, giving this truth. It's important to understand that as we think about whatever God is, Christ is. When we think about God, you cannot think about God without considering Christ. Even back in Hebrews in verse 3 when it says, He, he Himself purged our sins. Is it an amazing thing when you realize just how wicked and vile you are that the Bible says your sins have been purged? This is the faith in which we stand. It is a common, it is a uniform, it is a perfected faith. No alteration is allowed to be made. I'm convinced that people even in the book of Revelation don't believe the curse that comes upon those who add or take away from the Word of God because it is happening at an alarming rate. People are just making up their own Bibles. They're just making up their own faith. They're saying, I'm going to believe this, I'm not going to believe that. It's been delivered once. That means it should be earnestly contended for. It was delivered by God the Father to Christ as the mediator. Christ the mediator gave it to His apostles. And those apostles, through the writings of the Scripture, has moved on to us, that the saints, and we are to carry that on. This faith is a holy faith. It's a perfect faith. The same gospel that Paul preached is the same gospel this church preaches. It hasn't needed to change. Yet we somehow are the narrow-minded ones. You're not being inclusive enough. Now listen, I'm not telling you to hate people. I'm not telling you that. I'm telling you, and this is going to be a real struggle for us to understand, listen, your stand in correctness on the truth doesn't give you a right to hate people in the name of Jesus. And this has to stop. You standing out there threatening sinners and saying, listen, I wish these people would just go away and die. You have not been touched by the gospel of Christ if that is your desire. I don't care what you prayed. I don't care how many aisles you walked. If that's your thought, I just wish God would take away all the wicked, evil, perverted people out of the world. Just kill them all. It's being preached from pulpits in this country. Somehow, some way, you have mis you've misinformed yourself that apart from the grace of God, you would be just as depraved and you would still be living in a way that would be unthinkable to people around you. But yet we somehow think, oh no, oh no, 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 I've arrived. You've arrived because Jesus Christ, your eyes were opened. And you see, you see the truth. Listen, God's not even given it to us to decide, be the final judge and jury on who really got converted and who isn't. Listen, 
You and I aren't the ones who decide that person's in the faith and that person's not. Every single day, if everybody, everybody knew our heart, if everybody really knew what we thought, if everybody really knew what we did, somebody somewhere every single day would question whether or not we're even in the faith. You sit and tell me your mind is always pure. You sit and tell me your thoughts are always right. Your attitude is all, you never say anything wrong. If people could read what's going on here and in here, they would say, is that really a believer? Listen, be very careful about who you declare in the faith and out of the faith. You'll give somebody a reason this week to wonder, are you even, are you even a child of God? Praise God, I'm not a child of God by what I do or don't do. I'm a child of God by the grace of God, and He's the one keeping me. Because if I could lose it, which I can't, I would lose my salvation every single day. And so would you. This common faith is not something man's invented. It was once delivered. The persons who it's been delivered, who understand it, who know it, they are content to contend for it, and they will give testimony of it. Listen, one of our prayers as a church ought to be to pray that the gospel continues in truth as it is. Here's an idea. While churches are all fighting with one another, why don't we pray for other churches to stand fast in the truth? What an amazing thing that would be if we actually are praying for other churches to stand fast in the faith. Stand fast in this gospel that was once delivered. Stand firm in this common faith. Instead of looking around envying other churches that have more than we have or have other things that we don't have and, and getting into this whole, let's compare churches and see which one's better. A church of two that's preaching the truth is just as important as a church of 2,000. And until we get that, we're always going to be thinking, well, what in the world? Uh, we're nothing. Listen, stand on the truth. Contend for the truth. Contend for the faith that was once delivered, this common faith, this common salvation. Every one of us is a minister of the gospel. This common faith, we contend by preaching it boldly. We preach it openly, unashamedly. We preach it fully, faithfully dispute for its truths, defend it. And it may not come to this for us, but it has come to this for many, many people before us, people who were willing to lay down their lives for it. You think those people that were willfully burned at the stake and all they had to do was say, just deny Christ and we'll let you go? What do you think... What do you think motivated them to go to that stake. Christ had to have been that good. Christ had to have meant that much. And in a day and age when we just want a faith that gives us all the blessings of God, listen, the real gospel faith, the real common faith is going to be found when you're called to give up something for it. Faith that doesn't cost anything, even to you personally, isn't really faith. We sometimes make a mistake and say, listen, faith doesn't cost us anything. Actually, it does. What it doesn't cost us is what made it possible. In other words, our giving of our life isn't going to make salvation for somebody else. 
but we ought to be willing to contend by even laying down our lives for it. As Jude says, how do we contend? We earnestly contend. We contend without deceit. We contend zealously, constantly for the common faith. That's, that's what Jude's message is for us this morning. Earnestly contend for the common salvation or this common faith that was once delivered. Don't ever alter it. Don't ever change it. Don't ever lose it. All right? Let's stand together. We'll pray. And as we're praying, let's consider one another. Not one another's faults. Not one another's failures and what we are not to somebody else, but let's consider one another's lives. And let's pray that one another, we would have this kind of desire to contend for this common salvation. Lord, as we bring this time in your word to a close, Lord, thank you for the directness. We thank you for the clarity. And Lord, we stand here today empty-handed, Lord, there would be no message. There would be nothing to contend for. Were it not for the voluntary submission, the sacrifice of Christ. Lord, we could all have a purpose. We could all have something that we are passionate about. Lord, I pray that as a church, as a body of believers, that we would understand that this common salvation, it is precious. It is something that we should earnestly contend for. Lord, we don't know what tomorrow holds. We don't know what you have for this body of believers, this local church. But Lord, I pray that we would be found faithful and that all that call this church, their church family, would share in this common salvation, this common faith. Lord, I do pray that you would give us discernment that if, as we'll learn in the coming weeks, men who do creep in unawares, that we would be able to identify and be able to deal with scripturally what you've told us to do. Lord, we know these things do not take you by surprise. And uh, Lord, even as we read these verses, it might open our eyes to understand where it's coming from. But Father, may you help us today to think on these things. May we edify one another, remind each other the beauty of this common salvation we have in Christ. Lord, long after we're gone, our prayer is that this church, for as long as you tarry the Lord Jesus Christ coming, that this church, years and years and years from now, is still standing for the truth and the faith once delivered. Lord, help us now to do our part, Lord. Help us to understand we're not called to salvation to do nothing. We are called to contend and defend, and if so be, even lay down our lives for it. We love you. We thank you for sending your only begotten son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to pay our sin debt. He who knew no sin became sin for us. And we are eternally grateful. And it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.